Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today for the sermon, what I want to focus in on is Jesus' words about uh, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to see at least three ways, maybe you'll think of some more afterwards, but um, I'm going to share three ways in our text that we just heard that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and how this is good news for you and for me. The first happens in the very first verse that we read. And if you're one of those that likes to follow along in your Bibles, you can look at the sections that we're, we're doing again. Not necessary for you to get what we're talking about here, but uh, verse 1 says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. I was reading this last week in my, uh, I have a copy or translation of the Bible in the Message Translation, if you guys have ever read that by uh, Eugene Peterson, and it's a very um, colloquial way of writing a lot of times, and the way he translates this is that the disciples were strolling along, picking the heads of grain, strolling along, picking the heads of grain. When in your life do you feel most at ease? When do you feel most at ease? I can think of my mom describing a really close friend of hers when I was growing up. And if this person called uh, and said, hey, uh, we're coming up for the weekend. They had actually these close family friends that lived about four hours away from us. And we would do stuff with them all the time, Thanksgivings, camping trips, you name it. And if she got a call from them saying, hey, we're thinking about coming up this weekend, you know what my mom did not worry about doing? Getting the house ready. They were so close. I mean, yeah, sure, we want to have a room prepared for them or whatever, but it wasn't this kind of frantic like, oh my gosh, we have to make this house look nicer than it normally is. <laughs> because we know these folks, they're dear friends of ours, they're close to us, we've, we've been through all kinds of stuff with each other. Them coming over is not a point of stress. It's a, it's a point of ease. Uh, maybe you felt that with a dear friend about just you can call them up any time of the day and talk about anything, and there's no, there's no pretense. There's nothing that you need to prove to them. You're not trying to sell them on something. There's no performance in it. You're just at ease. You can stroll along with them. I have a, a, a dear friend who talks about how his grandma's house always smelled when he was younger. And when he, went, when he went to grandma's house, you knew that you were going to have really good baked goods to eat <laughs> and not a whole lot of responsibilities. And so Andy, every time he smells anything even remotely close to the smells that he had around grandma's house, he's just immediately put at ease again. I don't know how many of you are following the NBA finals right now. Uh, this is professional basketball for those who don't, don't follow it. And um, there's a player on the Denver Nuggets, uh, Nikola Jokic, I think is how he says his name. I'm probably not saying it right. I'm not Serbian, so I don't know exactly how he pronounces it. But uh, he's kind of gotten in the news over the last few years because 
he um, famously decided that he was no longer going to use social media, period. And if you're kind of in that generation that thinks, yeah, what's the good of it anyway, (laughs) fine. But for most people, especially for people in kind of uh, personality professions, that would seem like a very unwise decision to make because if you're a a, uh, a star, a celebrity, a pro athlete, you build your brand around these things, right? You work on um, communication with your fans and promoting, you know, whatever shoe sponsorship line that you've got or, or whatever these things are, right? And so it's considered a necessity for many of these people. Uh, but for this man, this young man, he felt it was a distraction, And even though everyone told him, you have to do this, it's the way things get done, he just felt at ease enough with himself to say, eh, no, I don't. I'm just going to play ball, right? I'm going to play ball. I'm going to communicate with the friends that I have. I'm going to be connected to my teammates. He felt at ease enough to let go of what was considered a necessity by everyone else around him, by the culture around him. Well, today we see the disciples are totally at ease with Jesus. They've kind of lost themselves in the moment of it. They're strolling along with Jesus, and it's a Sabbath. They know the rules about the day, but they've kind of lost touch with looking over their shoulder, right? And so they just, yep. I mean, what is more at ease than snacking with somebody, right? (laughs) They're having a snack with Jesus. They're strolling along. What could possibly put them at such ease with Jesus. Well, if you go back earlier in Matthew, from the moment that he ends his Sermon on the Mount to all of his activity afterwards, you see that he is constantly working to restore and to give rest to people. So Simon's mother-in-law is ill, and obviously he's nervous about, he's worried about her, his, his wife is worried about her, and Jesus heals her and brings peace into that home. And Peter says, whoa, the things that are wrong, Jesus is making right. Peter and the disciples are out on this boat with Jesus when the crowds kind of press in on them after some of his healings. And they go to the other side and there's a a huge storm on the sea. And this is a famous story. The, The disciples start freaking out about this. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He's getting his Sabbath nap, right? Rest in right there. And then he wakes up and he calms the storm and the sea and the disciples, who is this, right? Who is this who has power, who is Lord over creation? They see that he brings peace and calm even to nature around them. And then Jesus goes to the house of, or to the uh, Matthew's tax collecting booth, right? Matthew, who is an enemy of God's people in a lot of ways, uh, someone who has gone against his own folks, right? A, a uh, a Benedict Arnold or something like this. And uh, Jesus calls him and says, you're going to follow me now. And then Jesus has Matthew put on a dinner party and all of the people that would be associated with Matthew, all these other disreputable people are invited into this place. And you would think, you know, Peter and some of the other disciples and definitely the Pharisees, they get caught up on what kind of people are you hanging out with? But is Jesus shocked by this at all? Not even remotely, right? He says, hey, when the bridegroom is here, we're going to celebrate, right? And we're going to have, we're going to restore these relationships that have been broken. And so the disciples, they've been seeing this over and over and over again. And when we come to Matthew 12 today, 
they're just totally at ease. They forget themselves, right? They forget the rules. They, they, they're just with Jesus, and so they, they pick, right? They pick the heads of grain, and they stroll along. We learn that when Jesus says he is Lord of Sabbath, what that means is that his presence in our lives gives us rest, right? It gives us ease. It gives us self-forgetfulness. It's a great gift. Now, I wish that Matthew 12 just ended at verse 1. That's all I've talked about with you guys so far, (laughs) is verse 1, right? But it doesn't, because the Pharisees, some people around, they, they notice this and say, hey, whoa, 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 you're doing it wrong. How many of you, by just a show of hands, have ever been told you're doing it wrong, whatever it is? Hey, every single hand, go figure. It's, it's very easy uh, to have this experience. Maybe you sheepishly can think about times that you've kind of come after somebody and said, hey, you know, you're wrong about this, and you, you're nitpicking about something. Uh, but Jesus recognizes the Pharisees come and they, you know, the disciples pick the grain, the Pharisees nitpick about the grain, and they come and start critiquing them. I notice this with kids, too. When are kids most concerned about the rules? When their sibling is breaking them. That's how it works. <laughs> They're always most eager to turn into parents when someone else is doing something. Not, not when they're up to it, but when somebody else is up to it, right? That's, it just seems to be built into our uh, fallen human nature, sadly enough. And so they come to Jesus and they say, you know, the disciples are, are doing this wrong. And they want to kind of destroy this sense of ease or this Sabbath that Jesus has given to the disciples. And in response to this, Jesus speaks up. He speaks up on their behalf. And he does something interesting. He points out to them that even though Jesus has come to do a new thing, uh, what they're experiencing about Sabbath is not entirely new. Jesus isn't abolishing the law. He's not just changing all the rules. Jesus points back to David and his companions when they were on the run. And they needed, they needed some rest. They needed some Sabbath from God who had anointed David as the next king. And so Jesus says, look, he did this, right? The priests take, take what they need to be, have taken on these high holy days. And so Jesus is pointing out to them that they've never understood <laughs> what the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath is a gift and not a burden. The Sabbath is made for man, not the other way around. And I find this fascinating because what do the disciples do in this story after they have picked the grain? Do you guys notice them saying anything or doing anything? I'm doing this just for theatrical. I already know what I'm just going to say. But I'm, I'm going to look at it for a second, see if I can find it. They don't do anything. They don't say anything. They don't defend themselves against the Pharisees. They don't have to. They don't have to speak up. I don't know about you, but when someone nitpicks at me, I, I'm ready to defend myself If not to that person, then at least in my own mind or to anyone else who will listen to me afterwards. (laughs) And the disciples don't have to say a word. They don't have to say a word. They don't have to justify themselves. They don't have to defend themselves. The accusation of law has been taken off the table because Jesus speaks. 
And Jesus silences the accusation of the Pharisees. Jesus silences the judgments of everyone that you experience in your life. Anyone who has a word of judgment for you, justified or not, right or wrong, Jesus silences that word. He is our defender. Even the just judgment of the law, right? We, con- we confessed our sin together. That's true, right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is true, right? And God simply invites us to say those words so that we can hear Jesus' word again, so that we can know for sure that when he speaks on our behalf, all accusation has been silenced. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And this means that all accusing voices have no power. They're quiet, right? God shuts up every mouth, even the ones from within. Maybe the the greatest accuser isn't around you, but from within, from yourself. And Jesus silences that accuser too. And he says, you're with me now, right? I'm going to put your life back at ease. So finally, we see this, right? We see this, that Jesus is Lord of Sabbath, and you see this theme running through this whole passage, but also through all of Scripture, that Sabbath is not a gift that is meant to be turned into a burden for us, where we double uh, check the things, we figure out whether we're doing it right or wrong. It's meant as a gift to us. And Jesus uh, gives rest. He restores. He reconciles. This is what he is all about. Jesus wants to put our lives at ease in his presence. He wants to silence the accusers. He wants to bring restoration uh, where we are feeling uh, stressed or stretched. And in case we're not sure about this, the last thing he talks about with the Sabbath seems to be a completely like non sequitur thing. Do you see it at the end here? They're asking him about the Sabbath, and he says, um, if any one of you has a sheep, this is verse 11, if any one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? A sheep falls into a pit. Jesus saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. A sheep falls into a pit. This is a perfect description of modern life, isn't it? Because we can talk about the kind of the boundaries that we put on our lives. We can talk about trying to find more time for rest. We can do things structurally in our lives and still feel that our hearts are restless, right? That we're anxious, that we're we're worried about something, that we can't find the peace that we're looking for. But Jesus does not describe our situation as people who just need to make better decisions. He doesn't describe us as, hey, just do the correct checklists and then, you know, block out this thing and block out that thing. He describes us as people who have fallen into a pit, who can't get ourselves to the place of rest that we desperately want to be in. And so Jesus describes himself as the rescuer, the rescuer. When he says, oh, who of you who has a sheep falls into a pit wouldn't rescue him, he's not just talking generally about maybe a, a situation that could occur. He's talking about himself. We are the sheep, and he is 
the rescuer. And he came into the world to draw us out of the pit of judgment, of sin, of, of exhaustion, of law. He pulls us out of the pit. He places us on his shoulders. He says, I'm bringing you to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I've come to give you rest. This is what it means that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a gift to you and me and not a burden. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.